Hey, Missio, our reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 33. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? and I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Eratos had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Hey, Missio. So if you've been with us for the last couple of months, actually, we have been in a series called Mountains Made of Clay, walking through Paul's letter to the church in 2 Corinthians. It's one of many letters that Paul sends to this early church. as He's trying to like help them be followers of Jesus, help them understand what it looks like to embody the Christian community in the midst of this weird and strange world. And as we've been in this letter, we've seen some of the obstacles to that, some of the struggles that Paul is having in helping the church understand what it looks like to be followers of Jesus. And he's been trying to make arguments about what it looks like, and he's been trying to show them what it looks like to live in light of the kingdom, and he's been trying to help them envision a new life in light of God's reconciling work and God's kingdom work and what it means in their lives and the world and all these different places. And yet it seems like there's a consistent obstacle to understanding that for the church. And so as we come to this moment of the letter, it's like Paul begins to change tactics a bit. Instead of arguing with them about the kingdom, instead of arguing with them about how they should live, Paul is going to choose a different tactic to try to reveal to them that the way of life that they have been living is totally absurd. Now, the way they've been living and operating and thinking in this weird mix of Jesus and Corinthian culture and the way that they have been comparing Paul to the super apostles and the way they have been evaluating and valuing and building a hierarchy of like false means, he's like, oh, that's absurd. 
And obviously you're not going to listen to me as I try to make an argument, and so I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that it's absurd. Now, I was trying to think of, like, what is a way to illustrate this? Like, what is a way for us to see similar examples of what Paul is going to do? And I think maybe the best example that we can see is often presented by art and artists. And so we're going to put up on the screen an image from uh, Basquiat. And this is, one of the, this is an image called Six Crimes that Basquiat paints in the 1980s, named Michelle Basquiat, about what it looks like to be a black man in America. This image is beautiful, it's compelling, it's challenging. And lots of Basquiat's art was like this, challenging and compelling, presenting the experience of being a black man in America. And in the 80s, when he's painting, he blows up and becomes a superstar. He dies a tragic death, but then post him dying, his art explodes even further. And if you were going to try to buy a piece of his work, they go for millions of dollars today. And at a recent exhibit in London, this was in 2017, a recent exhibit of his work, the street artist Banksy, on the side of the exhibit, did a new work to reveal some of the absurdity of what was happening in this moment. This is an image of Basquiat's work being searched and seizured by police officers. And the image that that Banksy is trying to communicate, the thing that he is revealing, is that it's marvelous that we would so value the art and so devalue the artist. It is amazing that we would put so much stock and value and worth in the body of work and so little value in the body of the worker. And then through this picture of art and through this image and through this representation, through taking this moment of like the exhibit in 2017, Banksy is revealing the absurdity of something. It is absurd that we would pay so much for a work that is trying to reveal something while doing nothing about what the work reveals. It is absurd that it would cost this much and change so little. It's absurd. It reveals the absurdity of something. It disrupts something. That's what artists like Banksy are good at doing, revealing the absurdity of something, challenging what we take as normal and right, and pressing it and pushing on it. And sometimes we need that. We need an image to, to press on our imagination. We need something to disrupt the way that we normally think. We need our regular habits to be disrupted by something different than rational arguments because sometimes rational arguments aren't enough. And I think this is what Paul is doing in this section of 2 Corinthians. Trying to show us how the kingdom and the work of Jesus upends everything. Because the church isn't getting the argument. They're not getting the rational argument, the logical presentation. So instead, Paul is going to show them. And specifically, he's going to show them by becoming foolish, by becoming absurd. This is the language that he uses throughout chapter 11, that he is becoming foolish. And the conflict primarily in this moment is between Paul and these super apostles. We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. And Paul is trying to show us that the presentations of the super apostles, the way they perform, the way they present is just irrelevant. Like that their pedigrees don't make them authoritative, their education doesn't make them authoritative, the use of eloquent language doesn't mean that they are better apostles than Paul. But this argument has been working. So in verse 18, this is what Paul says. He says, 
since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. It's like he's saying, like, oh, I'll play your game. You're going to boast, I'll play your game with you. And then he goes on to say this in verse 22. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this, but I am more. He's just saying, he's like comparing the records of the two, and he's like, oh, are they servants of Christ? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Our records go hand in hand. It's like he's playing the same game that they are and competing point for point. But then he switches and does something really weird. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. He keeps going in this train of thought. It started like, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, and now he's like, I've been flogged more severely. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Paul starts this section by saying, I'm going to boast. I'm going to play the same game that these super apostles are playing. But instead of presenting his pedigrees, his performances, his like, record, his education, his accomplishments, he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I will boast, but I will boast of the things that show my weakness. It's like if he was to go, this is what the image presents to me. It's like if he was to go play a pickup game of basketball and talk so much trash. And then when he starts to play, he just always passes the ball to the other team. It's like, what are you doing? This is not how the game is supposed to work. You are boasting in your weaknesses. You're playing the wrong game. And that is Paul's point. Everywhere that they boast of success, he flips it and boasts of failure. Everywhere that they boast of strength, he flips it and boasts in weakness. And like Banksy or other artists, Paul is intentionally trying to show the absurdity of what the super apostles in the church at Corinth is doing by showing how upside down the kingdom's values are versus the world's values. We're trying to show how different the way the thing that Jesus is doing works than the way that the world works. And here's what I mean by that. The kingdom has, if you've been with us at all in 2 Corinthians and you see this, the kingdom has a different set of values than the values of the world. It has a different way of being, a different way of existing, a different way of living than the world does. Paul's talked about this in terms of how the church functions from reconciliation or how the church functions out of self-sacrifice or how the way of Jesus puts us at odds with Rome. And if we take that seriously, it'll look foolish and at times absurd. Right? It is absurd in a world that solves its problems with violence to practice sacrifice. 
It is absurd to practice generosity in a world of scarcity. It is absurd to forgive again and again when our hearts have been broken a thousand times. It is absurd to practice simplicity in a world of accumulation. It is absurd to look towards the renewal and the reconciliation of all things in a world that feeds on division. And it is absurd to follow Jesus in a world that killed him. This is what Paul is trying to highlight, that there is something absurd about the way of Jesus. And when you compare it to the way that we normally do values and the way that we normally establish esteem and the way that we normally measure success, he's like, it doesn't make any sense. They are totally different from one another. They should reveal how different they are when they're lined up. They are absurd. Similarly, Jesus tells his disciples this when he's still with them. He tells them in Matthew 16 this. He says, Then Jesus says to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? It's like there's two different value systems that are running parallel. And to be a follower of Jesus is to recognize that the way of Jesus and the value systems of Jesus are totally different than the value systems of the world around us. It requires picking up our cross, denying the value systems of the world around us, and that looks absurd. The Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said it really brilliantly. He said this, quote, The absurd, or to act by virtue of the absurd, is to act upon faith. And he's not trying to say that it's absurd in that we have to believe despite our doubts. He's saying that it is absurd to follow Jesus in a world that doesn't. That it is absurd to try to practice reconciliation or love or self-sacrifice in a world that denies those as values and virtues. It is absurd to hope in the reconciliation of all things in a world that says that's impossible. He's like, that's absurd. And that's what it looks like to live in faith. To deny the logic of the world around us, instead to embody a logic of God's kingdom here and now. And that will look absurd. This is what Paul is trying to reveal to the church, to disrupt in their midst. That they have bought into a value system that doesn't make any sense. That they have bought into a hierarchy of what's important and what matters that does not make any sense when it is applied or seen through the lens of Jesus' kingdom. He's showing the church how absurd it is. And I think that leads us to an important question, which is, where do we need to do the same thing in our own life? Where do we need to do the same thing in our own life to evaluate our own values, our own habits, our own politics, our own way of existing next to the way of Jesus' kingdom? Where do our values conflict with the way of Jesus? Where do our hopes conflict with the way of Jesus? Where does our way of life conflict with the way of Jesus? Where do we need our life disrupted to see the absurdity, 
the foolishness of it. And then, where can we, like Paul, if we're seeing that clearly, where can we, like Paul, make something absurd? Join in this act of foolishness. I was thinking about this all week. Like, what if we did the same thing that Paul did in the church at Corinth at our own jobs? Like, what if we flipped the hierarchy, the value systems, uh, totally upside down? Instead of putting on our resume all the amazing things that we've did, our resume was made up by all of our weaknesses and our failures and our sufferings, the way plans have not gone according to our desires. What if the stories that we told about ourselves, the resumes that we presented, what if those highlighted our weakness for the sake of boasting in Jesus as opposed to highlighting our strength to boast in ourselves? What would it look like if we just had a different story that we told? What if we did that with our bank account? If we just flipped the value system and began to, well, instead of value accumulation, value generosity? And what if that was the story that we told with our bank account? What if we did that with our homes? This is the one that has been challenging me the most recently. We have a friend that Tori went to college with who she bought a home and then immediately her husband's brother moved in with them. And then like really quickly after her parents moved in with her. And then very quickly after that her aunt moved in and then her grandma and then their other aunt and like four dogs. And so all of a sudden she bought this home that she intended to be her house and her husband's house and it became like the family commune. And we were having this conversation with her asking like, like, what do you think about this? And she was like, oh, like, this is what you do. This is what life is supposed to look like. And I was like, well, do you want them to move out? And she was like, no. I thought it was like so challenging. Like, what if we reimagined our values and our priorities and our need for security and individuality along this different vision of what is possible in the midst of us? And we flipped how we think upside down. It would look absurd in the world around us if I, in my 900-square-foot apartment, moved 10 people into it. Probably also dangerous. But what if that was the value system that we operated out of? It's hard and it's weird, but I think it would genuinely lead to freedom. That's why Paul says this is, he's doing this. He's not doing it to make a statement. He's not doing it to be like a... Like a a performance artist, he's doing it because he is trying to help the people experience freedom. He says in verse 20, he's like, you put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you. You put up with anyone who puts on airs or slaps you in the face. So you put up with things that you should not put up with. You are enslaved to people who are telling you a lie and actually they're paying them to do it. And he's like, you shouldn't do any of that. So I'm going to try to disrupt this weird value system that you have so that you might experience freedom. Paul says the same thing to the church at Galatia, who's having a similar kind of problem. They have these false teachers who are telling them what it looks like to accumulate and grow and find themselves worthy. And Paul says in Galatians 5.1, he's like, you have been set free for freedom's sake. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. In this moment, Paul is trying to set the church free. And I think that of our own value systems, we're disrupted and revealed to be absurd but we would find freedom. And we'd become a community that offers freedom to the world around us. Not the freedom of some shallow lie or shallow myth, but the freedom that is available in the gospel. 
the freedom that comes in the kingdom of Jesus, when it works the way Jesus works. So, Missy, where do you need to have your values disrupted? And where can you begin to make them foolish? Now, one of the places that we do this every single week is actually at the table. And I say that because it is a place that disrupts our values because Jesus invites everyone to it. Tables are supposed to be places where you invite your friends or you invite the people that you want to be connected with or you want to invite those who are royal and holy. And Jesus is like, no, I'm going to invite everybody to the table. Everybody gets a spot. And that's disruptive to the values around him. And it's how he participates in making it strange and absurd. And we're invited to do the same thing. To participate and experience the grace that he's made available in this moment. And then through his grace, to join his renewing work and to change the values and systems around us by offering others a seat at the table. Let's see, let's pray. Can we thank you for your story today? It is challenging to have our value system so disrupted, to have the way that we think and dream and evaluate and hope to be so disrupted by the things that you're doing. But today as we come to your table and as we sing your songs and we reflect on your story and as we gather with others, would you reveal to us how absurd the values of the world are in light of your kingdom? Would you show us the freedom that is available in you? Would you help us to be a people who extend it? In your name we pray. Amen. Let's see if you have your elements. Let's take communion together.